What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Hello, everyone. Another Baseball America playoff podcast. We got JJ and John here today, doing a little earlier this morning, trying to get it knocked out. We got a lot of uh, draft report card calls and uh, top tens and uh, top thirties and all that kind of stuff. It's a it's prospect season. It's, it's prospect a, it's season the most and playoffs of the year. Absolutely. I mean, you got prospects all t- all the time. You got playoffs all day today. Four, Four games. games. It is it is the insanity. I mean, this is the insane day in some ways. Like, I mean, what was the wall. lady's name? Susan Pointer or Susan. The woman with the short hair 25 years ago. The workout stuff, you know who I'm talking about. Come on. The buzz haircut workout lady? I'll find her. Okay, but I don't know. Yeah, you do. Okay, I don't know Suzanne Pointer. I don't recognize that. I don't know. Obviously, I got her name wrong, but you know who I'm talking about. I'll find her and you'll laugh. But uh, I don't even know where we're going with that one. But uh, I do want to remind you before we jump in. That she was insane. That was her, that was her joke. Uh, but uh, I do want to remind you that today's podcast is sponsored by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. Shop now at Baseballism.com and enter the offer code BASHIP, that's B-A-S-H-I-P, to receive free shipping on your order. Visit Baseballism.com to shop for hats, shirts, and more today. So, John, we have two games in the books as far as the, uh, the ALDS and... Two pretty heroic performances. I mean, two pretty standout performances, I guess would be a better way to put it. But obviously when you talk about that Astros-Red Sox game, if you're looking at it from what someone did in a positive standpoint, Jose Altuve is the story of that game. Uh, if you want to look at it also, it is that this Astros lineup, which is pretty amazing, is also is one that you, you just look at it and you say... They just took Chris Sale, who's one of the best pitchers in baseball, and they had their. I mean, they they had a lot of good swings. Yeah, I think it's twofold. I think number one, uh, we talked about in recent podcasts just how good the Astros lineup is and how much better they were than the rest of baseball, basically. Um, and that's it wasn't just that they had Jose Altuve, who was obviously major league uh, our major league player of the year, Baseball America. More on him later. It's not just that they have Carlos Correa, this pretty singular talent. Alex Bregman, George Springer, and they had this really productive offseason. I think we all in our office loved mm-hmm. the moves they made. I mean, like, even though Carlos Beltran didn't hit this year, just a, a veteran presence and a switch hitter, uh, who you could see the potential of him in their lineup. Brian McCann, again, a veteran left-handed bat to balance things out. But the biggest one was Josh Reddick. Again, left-handed bat, but athlete. We saw the defense on display oh, yesterday. But I think the other part of it is Chris Sale and, you know, the fact that he gave up nine home runs in uh, his five September starts and that in two of those starts he didn't give up any home runs. Um, you know, that uh, so there was nine home runs basically allowed in three starts. That's the most home runs he's ever given up in a month. Some of that is clearly going to be uh, 
you know, just part and parcel of this, the being the year where more, more home runs were hit than any other year. But the other part of it is, you know, which crusade were we going to get? Because um, why did he give up the most home runs in September? Why was he worse in September? Um, and Jim Cott, you know, uh, again, I got a chance to work with him a couple weeks ago, uh, again, for the AAA championship game we had the last couple of years, and did the game yesterday on MLB Network. And, you know, Jim Cott's stinking good at his job. He's very perceptive for, for anybody, not to mention the dude who's 78. But he just noticed instantly in the pregame and in the first inning, he just said, you know, sales arms, release points low. He's a little lower. And uh, there was a lot of talk before the game about how sales velocity actually was up in September. But his release point, you can track it, and it's lower. And it has been lower, and his stuff flattened out. And that's where the home runs came up, came from. So, first of all, you have to have a lineup that can take advantage of that. Second of all, you have Check. to have a Chris Sale who, in response to this fatigue, it appears that his response has been to throw harder. And, uh, you know, he had nine days off. Maybe he was too fresh. I don't know. That's, that's hard to judge, too. But his stuff was flat. And when he missed flat and in the zone... The Astros are too good, and he punished it. So um, it's a, it was a combination of them. And now the Red Sox clearly, uh, you know, you, you want to in a five game series, things speed up, and you want to get one on the road before they go home. And so I wouldn't say yesterday was calamitous, but they've uh, you know you lose a game with your 300 strikeout guy on the mound. Um, you've got to face Dallas Keuchel uh, in Houston. And it's Doug Fister, right, starting for Boston today, I believe. I mean, I think it is Doug, and that's just an interesting conundrum for Boston. They, they, to win the series going in, you looked at it, and you, you would say that Houston was the favorite, and Boston's going to have Palmer. to. It's Drew Palmer and then Doug Fister. But you looked at it, and you said Boston's going to have to win one, maybe two, Chris Sale starts. Um, so will Drew Palmer answer? It's very different stuff from Sale, much more north-south. Uh, and, and versus an East-West guy. And and by the way, who you know, as if you're following, you're listening to us, you probably know this. Drew Pomerantz, who's having the best season, I would say, of his career so far. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, and, the, last year, two thirds of the year through were, was better, but obviously he fell off late. But definitely the best year of his career. And, and so you do say, okay, Pomerantz Keuchel is that's a very winnable game for the Red Sox. It's not something where you say. You know, this is it, but at the same time, late gets here really early in a five-game series. Right, and the other part of it, I do think Pomerantz and uh, Trevor Bauer last night, it's very, it's just fascinating to me, J.J., just big picture, 30,000-foot view. We really are seeing, uh, you know, the game just changed so fast. And one of the changes is actually when we wrote about, about 10 years ago in a Major League preview issue, I don't know if you remember, when uh, Ross Newhan wrote that story for us about the strike zone, mm-hmm. the changing strike zone, and Barry Zito was one of the main guys he talked to in that. And I feel like Pomerantz and the success we had, we saw Bauer have last night, we're seeing this move again toward a north-south approach, an mm-hmm. up-in-the-zone, down-in-the-zone approach, being the way to go in Major League Baseball versus a sinker slider and uh, east-west and an in-and-out. You see, uh, and I don't know if that's because of the strike zone, and the, uh, you know maybe that would advance even be more pronounced if we had a, a robot ump zone. But it feels like Pomerantz is actually again. I mean, Chris Sale's really good. He can move up and down the zone mm-hmm. too. But when you're flat, you're not as good. At, you're not as adept at doing that. Pomerantz's money pitch has always been that curveball. Feels like he's going to have to follow this trend 
of more curveballs and working more up well, and down in the zone to combat this uh, Astros lineup. Well, we, we watched it. We watched Verlander yesterday, and the thing that stood out with Verlander is is we had those you know some really good at bats by Red Sox hitters. But what it was, I think there was a Devers at bat, especially where it was like, you know, he was just he got ahead, and then he was just pounding, yeah. pounding, pounding. It was ninety five plus up a little bit out of the zone. You have to be able to do both because and Verlander had that long at bat in the first inning with Benintendi, and the way that he put him away was it was a if I remember correctly it was a hard slider like eighty one miles an hour mm-hmm. not even as hard of a slider maybe it was just a hard breaking ball, but it was it had some east west as well mm-hmm. so it was down and in kind of a back foot but, breaking ball that he swung over the top. But of. my point being though is is that you know we we saw I would say that ten years ago the trend was is, is everything was about being able to generate ground balls and, right and being able to get down the zone sinkers that generate ground balls and what's happened now is is you have this generation of hitters who are quite comfortable low ball hitter Correct. lift and lifting it and the reality of it is is that like when Verlander was locating against Devers the best that Devers could do on that it is very hard like I mean it's a great looking pitch coming in for a hitter but it is very hard to really drive a 95 plus mile hour fastball that's out of the zone above the zone. I right. mean, you can't get on top of it. You can't, you know, you and so you certainly can't launch angle it. Right. <laughs> you you can't so, swing uphill. And so what happened with that is is that, you know, you're watching this endeavors did a really good job of fouling off pitch after pitch, but it was the reality of it is is that as long as he kept locating that pitch, he didn't make a mistake with it. There was not much that Devers was going to be able to do with it. And that, I think, feeds into this up and down. Because if you're doing that, if you're changing eye levels and you're doing right. that, and then you also can locate that breaking ball, well, that's, that is, that's a way to com- combat this, you know, okay, I, I'm going to swing hard. There is, as we were talking in the office yesterday, the two-strike approach now is the OO approach. Right. Except for, okay, I'm going to make, you know, I, I'm... The, the change that goes into there now is really more of I'm going to swing at pitches that I wouldn't have swung at at OO right. and try to make contact. But there's not a I'm shortening up or anything like that. Not consistently. It seems like if you were going to have that approach, this would be the time of year to do it. <laughs> you know, this Because uh, hard contact and balls in play, seem like they matter uh, more in the playoffs. And I would say the Astros do that more than most teams. But, boy, Jose Altuve sure doesn't have much of a... I mean, I, I think he does have a two-strike approach. He strikes out less than 100 times every year. But he was looking to do damage yesterday. And uh, pretty and impressive did. display <laughs> and a well-timed display, both for the Astros and for us. Jose Altuve, our uh, Baseball America Major League Player of the Year. Obviously, it's easy to talk him. about it with, with, with the three home runs yesterday, JJ. But let's just talk about the award uh, briefly. For me... We could have had four or five dudes win that award this year. I, mean, oh, yeah. I would have been fine with Corey Kluber. I would have been fine with Aaron Judge. I would have been fine with Joey Votto. I would have been fine with Giancarlo Stanton. To an extent, I think I do this more than most people in the office. I like it to not just be that year. I would like to see track record. And that was a separator for me and Jose Altuve doing you know four straight 200-hit 200 seasons. His consistency, back-to-back batting championships, the fact that he gets better basically every year. Uh, he just missed a fourth straight 40 double season. He's got six straight 30 stolen base seasons. I feel that he's good every year, but keeps getting better, kind of helps separate it. But I think the other thing that separated for me is just all the evidence, both in the stats and just in the eyeball test and, and talking to people in front offices about him, 
He just gets better every year at all phases of the game. He's such a good all-around player. It's just kind of amazing to have two very strong candidates who are a foot different in height and probably 100 pounds in weight in him and, and uh, Aaron Judge. I, I just think that Jose Altuve is a... I mean, who's like him in baseball history? Number one, and what did you, you know, how what what swung his oh, the award for you? I guess that's the first question. What swung him as the winner for you? And then who's he like in Amer- in, in, in baseball history? Oh, what swung for me? I, I again, I think there were several very good candidates this year. You know, Aaron Judge. You mentioned Kluber. There was a number <laughs> of candidates where you say, okay, they had great years. I, I kind of do come back to. I mean. I, I look at more kind of if someone had an amazing season and it kind of came out of the blue, but it was clearly demonstrably better than anyone else, I would that would be the guy I would vote for for player of the year. But when you have a, a number of guys who all have what I see very similar cases, yeah, it doesn't hurt. Like Jose Altuve has had has shown staying power. He is quite simply one of the best players in the game year in year out, and. I, you just look at this. This is the Astros are one of the best teams in baseball this year, without a doubt. And you look at that team and you say why. And the answer, the number one answer, is Jose Altuve. Like yeah. they have other great players, but the reality of it is, is that Jose Altuve is the player who kind of makes things go there. And at this point, like the thing I worry about with Jose Altuve, Jose Altuve is on pace for a Hall of Fame career. He is. But you have to, the thing you worry about is his second baseman, a lot of times they age more quickly because second base is a little better now. This is not the 70s where you have, uh, you know, nowadays rolling body blocks that uh, knock you 10 feet off the bag. How the crane is not walking through that door. Thank God. They're at least discouraged, you know. So you do take a little less wear now at the, turning the double play than you used to. But I do think that's a big part of it is, is that second baseman just historically, second base is a position where the the peak comes early and the drop-off comes quick. Generally, not always, but generally. And I look at Dustin Pedroia, still a very solid player, but du- injuries have kept Dustin Pedroia. If you look at the trajectory of where he was, Kind of heading up through 26, 27, and you look at where he is now. He's, you know, he's taken a, a significant step back, really, because I think partly because he's he's just not as healthy as he used to be. Yeah, that thumb injury he had a couple of years ago has kind of sapped a lot of his power. I mean, he still was a 5.7 WAR player last right. year, according to BaseballReference.com. But um, yeah, I mean, he's not the guy that he was early career. I mean, but the. Two of the last three years, he's really you know been banged up and not been as offensive of a player, and uh, he's also thirty three years old, right. so that, that's but, a big difference. But if you said who do I think of, and I it's he not turned thirty four actually, it's not a perfect comparison by any stretch. None of these are when you talk about a player like this. But I think of Joe Morgan because you know a, a little bit you know a, a, a shorter second baseman who, and you know again, and this is not a perfect comparison in any way, but again. And Altuve is a better hitter. I mean, a better pure hitter. But at the same time, Morgan was the master of you yeah. know the OBP and the you know the slugging and all that. But but he is he's a kind of incomparable player because right. he's a five foot six ish yeah. ish you yeah. know second baseman. I think he is. To, I think he's truly a unique player in baseball history, and that's the unique ones are the superstars, and it's a guy that I think no one in the industry. 
saw this coming. Sir, oh, the, a, the Astros were higher on him than They signed him to the contract extension, the current front office, and all that. And they yeah. did not see. No one foresaw this. No right. one. I mean, Jose Altuve foresaw this. That that in their ends, or maybe Jose Altuve's family. They're in <laughs> right. the yes, Jose Altuve, one of the best, if not at this year, the best player in the game. Yeah, I mean, and uh, the three home runs. I mean, JJ, that's just three home runs in a playoff game. Is such a uh, what nine times it's happened in baseball history. It is. It is special, and uh, it was pretty neat. I, I will though. <laughs> I do want. It's hard to tell this on TV. I did think for a playoff crowd, it seemed a little quiet. But it's also so weird to have like crowd shaming on Twitter, almost. You know, like what what are they supposed to do? I mean, it was a baseball game, and the Astros came out and kind of put their. Uh, you know, to, they, to quote they, Larry Munson, to use my SEC, they they had a hobnail boot. Exactly, they, they it's stuck. a perfect use of hobnail boot. Isn't it weird that like people feel the need to do that on no, the Twitter it, machine? It's, Twitter bothers you way more than Bob. That to me, like to me, I look at that and it's like they're just making comparisons. In reality, is is it was like there were Red Sox fans like, look, when we were in Cleveland, it was insane. You couldn't hear a thing. See that, uh, but my point is the spin there is to me is Cleveland's fans are awesome, not Astros fans suck. But that's yeah. that's so and I don't. It's not that Twitter bothers also, me. It's people bother me. Yeah. <laughs> that's really what it is. It's not Twitter. It's human beings. So that that. I just think that the to me that's that that's the emphasis is if I'm a Red Sox writer I'm just re- I'm, I would be writing like man you know this really makes me appreciate Cleveland's fans rather than Houston's fans blow you got I mean it's a Sun Belt crowd what do you expect it's it's the Sun Belt it but, is never as good as yeah, a also, person who lives in North Carolina but, but also where's a Sun Belt but, but, city that's a good that has good baseball crowd but also it was a four o'clock it was a yeah I mean that does change local time game. that that changes the dynamics the four eastern three local. The crowd for that is different yes. than the crowd of a seven o'clock local or a six o'clock local start. Right, I mean, and the they, Indians crowd showed it last night. The Indians crowd was in full throat last night, JJ. And Indians Yankees is also like the Red Sox are good bad guys to root against. I was so I was a little surprised that the Houston crowd wasn't a little bit louder to, to an extent because Boston's easy to root against. The Yankees are also <laughs> easy to root against, and and Cleveland's fans had. I guess the other thing is that gets you in full throat early is. Trevor Bauer shoving, and then a guy that you and I have argued about, Jay Bruce. Good game for Jay Bruce last night. Yeah. Very oh, good Jay the Bruce. Funny thing game. is, is I'm, I think Jay Bruce is a very good player. I think Jay Bruce, when you look at his career, he will he will go into the hall of very solid long term. He's going to end up having you know a 15, 12, 15 year, you know twelve year probably big fifteen year maybe big league career. Yeah, really good player. You know, we were just we we were debating J D Martinez, Jay Bruce, and. I'm well, on, yeah, I well, I, I, I was also on yeah. Team JD Martinez. I just wasn't. I don't think that he's. I didn't think he. I think he's a grade better than Jay Bruce. You were saying he's two grades better. That's basically the. That's the nuance. That's the nuance of our. Yeah, but but, but you know, Jay Bruce. I mean, you you have to give give credit to the Indians front office. Give credit to Jay Bruce. Give credit. You know that. And Jay Bruce had a bad September. He's mm-hmm. had, he was very good in August. Bad September. Very productive game last night. Obviously, I think three RBIs, two runs scored. You know, home run, run, the sack run. fly, and but the other thing about it is, is that you have to like what Cleveland's done here. In that, this is a team that has created depth and options. I look at that outfield. And they needed it again, to second year in a row. The outfield, not what they, not the droids they were looking for. But what the the difference to me this year is, is that I look at it this year and I say, 
And by the way, great catch by Jason Kipnis. Yeah. I'm not. Uh, am I going overboard when I say I'm not that surprised that Jason Kipnis can handle center field? No. Is, is that, you know, I mean, that's not. You're not expecting him to be a plus defender out there, but like you said, can he handle it? Yeah, I think he can. And they've and got Greg Allen to come in in late innings to basically say. His nickname in the baseball encyclopedia will be uh, Jason Kipnis's legs. Yes. You know. <laughs> yeah, but you have, I mean, but I do look at it and I say the depth of their outfield this year is significantly better. They're putting guys out there who I think are better than what they put out there last year when they went into Game 7 of the World Series. Right. And But I, I, the thing that you really come back to to me is, is that Trevor Bauer right now, and again, for the longevity, he's going to need to show this for longer than a half season, but Trevor Bauer in the second half of the season and in the playoffs in his first start, the reason that he was tapped to go Game 1 is partly because this is the Trevor Bauer that we saw at UCLA that was kind of the guy that this was the guy who was the, everyone expected to see when he went third overall, if I remember right. Yes, third overall. So th- that's what we're seeing right now. He was actually, and the thing is to me, like, it's the, it's the same swagger and confidence that we saw in, at UCLA, mm-hmm. but I think it's also better, which you sure hope so, because it's been six years, and you hope that experience makes him better. I do think he's better, and I think he's better. Number one, I don't think he throws six pitches anymore. Number two, his fastball command is better. That's the those key. are the That's two the big key. things, and the, and those two things go together, JJ. When you throw six pitches, you aren't. There's no way those can be as good as when you're throwing four. It's just well, not no way. It, you're making it harder on yourself, and throwing to Pac-12, uh, you know, uh, uh, opponents. And yes, he did face Aaron Judge in college uh, when they when they, he was at UCLA, and Judge was a freshman at Fresno State. But um, you're not uh, you can be more scattered with your command. You have college umpires who's uh, you think strike zones in Major League Baseball are inconsistent. Let me introduce you to college baseball. I mean, this is one of the reasons why I <laughs> umpires are umpires. So Trevor Bauer has he's. What he's done is resuscitate the best of his UCLA days, mm-hmm. that confidence and that complete lack of uh, um, respect for the hitter, that disdain for the hitter. Um, that plays better when you locate your fastball, and he has such confidence in his own stuff. I haven't seen him throw with that confidence since he was at UCLA, and that's the thing that impresses me the most about now. Is I, I thought early in his major league career, it was false confidence. He was trying to reconstruct his previous days, but he it knew, to, he was doing it to be it. It was he, be it to yeah, do it, you know. He knew that he wasn't that dominant, and he was trying to act like he still was. Now that he commands the fastball and can set up the fastball, can use the fastball to set up the curveball or vice versa, he was just clinical last night attacking Gary Sanchez and Aaron Judge with the breaking ball. And again, Mickey Calloway has done such a great job as the pitching coach in Cleveland, and it really seems like... Uh, he and Cody Allen were two great examples last night of Andrew Miller stuff-wise is still filthier than either of those guys. But those two guys, again, north-south, attacking up and down with fastballs up to set up the curveball, which starts up and goes down. Both uh, Bauer and Allen were just fantastic last night with those pitches. And the one time the Yankees threatened in the eighth inning off Andrew Miller, first and second, two outs, and that Andrew Miller, when you've got Aaron Judge looming on deck and you're going left-left against uh, – uh, Brett Gardner, and uh, 3-1 pitch, and he threw a 3-1 slider to Brett Gardner, where the one thing you can't do is walk Brett Gardner, so you have to face Judge, left on right. 
I mean, if you're Andrew Miller, mm-hmm. and where if you get Brett Gardner out, you can face him, and if you give up a home run, it's 4-2, and you're still good. Uh, and then even if you face Sanchez and he goes yard, you still have a lead. Um, I just thought that was a very questionable pitch call, and he, he yanked it. So Andrew Miller was not on his game last night. Cody Allen and Trevor Bauer really were. And, uh, Cody Allen, uh, again, very similar execution of the fastball and the curve. And uh, that curveball usage rate for, for Trevor Bauer is so high, J.J., and you hear this all the time. I think, and again, it goes back to fastball command. When you lose your release point sometimes on your fastball, a way to get back into your mechanics, you hear pitching coaches talk about this, is to locate the breaking ball. And he can do that. He can manipulate the breaking ball. He can locate it at 76. He can bury it at 80 or 81. He did both last night. He was just clinical, and it was uh, fun to watch. Brooks Baseball uh, has you know has it this year his curveball usage, which was twenty nine percent, right? Twenty nine percent this year. You know when he was at, it was as low as nine percent in twenty thirteen, eleven percent in twenty fifteen. So he is really now. The funny thing is, is I, when you talk about how many pitches Bauer throws, I just have to show like John like. It lists seven different pitches, right. you know, because that is but, the... But, but see that right there, screwball, zero. So he, right. doesn't, he doesn't throw that anymore. Right, he now, you know, but he... You that know, was what was he, That's what he used to call his reserve, his reverse curve. Right. You know, we wrote about that when he was in college. Right, so, but you look at it and you say, okay, you know, the thing that stands out for Cleveland is, is that getting that performance from Bauer, again, as we say, five-game series, it gets late in these series really early, you you look at Thank it and say Yogi. yeah I, 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 a Yankees homage but you you look at this right now and you say if you've got Kluber coming up if you're the Yankees this gets really worrisome really quickly yeah it does because uh, you've got to beat Kluber and then game three you're gonna get Carrasco who's pretty doggone good I mean that's the whole thing is the Indians you know basically had a rotation that is. Um, you know, mid-90s Braves-ish, only with more strikeouts. They don't have the pedigree, but they had the performance of mm-hmm. Kluber, Carrasco, Bauer, Clevenger. That, and I mean, when, basically, performance-wise, Danny Salazar and Josh Tomlin are both perfectly cromulent. I mean, Tomlin had an okay year this year. Um, but those guys are perfectly cromulent back-end starters. And last year, Tomlin was there, had to be their three in the postseason. They almost won the World Series. And they it's didn't a have a four. Staff. Right. It's a pretty good pitching game. Ryan Merritt was their fourth guy last year. Did he start against the Blue Jays in the playoffs? So it's a pretty good playoff rotation. And, and, that's, uh, and, and to be honest, if you're looking at this and you say great versus great, there is something to be said. If the Indians and the Astros both win and you sit there and you said, okay, we had that pitching staff going up against that lineup, that is a... Get it, don't want to get ahead, but that would be a great versus great matchup because you do have two really exceptional units there. Yeah, no, I agree. So it, it, that was a it was a really good start to the American League playoffs as a, as fans. I think uh, you know we had compelling storylines in the Astros uh, Red Sox game with the three home runs, and then also JJ again. We haven't even mentioned it. Two really we we've hinted at it, but two uh, after two wild card games where the starters combined for seven and a third innings. We had Justin Verlander go six, and we had uh, Bauer go six and two-thirds. We actually had and – and that's the thing. I do think it goes back to your point that the trend is those are the great pitching sta- uh, starts we're going to see from starters, and they were six and six and two-thirds right. innings. Right, they're the great pitching starts, and because they were so good at what they did, they still no manager ever let a – no one's gotten through the lineup three times yet. I mean, like – Yeah, I think uh, Bauer was about to go through it three times and gave up that uh, second hit to Starling Castro. It wasn't even hard contact – 
But when you have Andrew Miller locked and loaded, I'm going to go to Andrew Miller before Bauer gets tired. Right, and that's and that's what I think you're going to see. I mean, I think you're going to see that just going to be because again, the reality of it is is that especially nowadays, the other thing about the game in 2017 is if this was. 1975, 1980, you know, 85, you're placing the Cardinals in the 85 World Series. The game can't get out of hand all that quick because, okay, he gave up that hit. Let's see another batter. Let's see how he does. Okay, let's get him out of there before it gets out of control. But the Cardinals 85, for example, uh, had a very Starlin Castro type player at second base, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of overall profile mm-hmm. on Tommy Hur. Yeah. He had three holes. Right, you know, Starlin Castro hits seventh or eighth, so right. it's, so, so it's a now, totally different game. Now it is something where one bad pitch, and if there's a runner on, it's like okay, well, you know, we saw that in that uh, wild card game between uh, Colorado and Arizona, right. where it's like one bad pitch, and all of a sudden this game close again. And yeah. that's the thing that is the the world of 2017 baseball when home runs are so much more common than they used to be. Games can either get get close or get out of hand. Before, I mean, you've got to have someone up in the pen because if you're, by the if you say you're going to wait to see something happen before you get someone up, it's it's, all, it's already too late. Absolutely, no, you're absolutely and right. So before, Let's take a couple questions, yeah. JJ, real okay. quick. We got we got Ben Herman, the next Ben thing on Twitter. What should the Cubs do with John Lackey? Go with a five man rotation, move him to the bullpen, or leave him off the roster? Cubs are starting Kyle Hendricks tonight in Game One in Washington D.C. Uh, Nationals are starting Steven Strasburg. Slight uh, prospect pedigree difference there. Yes. Uh, eighth rounder Kyle Hendricks versus first overall pick Steven Strasburg. Not just first overall pick, but at the most high draft pl- pitcher of all time really was Strasburg. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's clear. Uh, what would you do, JJ? I'm, I'm I'm on. You know I'm on team John Lackey. I think you put him in the pen. I, I think now again that you you it doesn't mean that you won't need that at some point. You know it it doesn't mean because again. We if if one of these games goes you know goes long, you may need him. Right. And so I think you, what you do is is you say okay, John we're, doesn't mean we're not going to use you at some point, but you're going to the pen now. And then you say and then you have to get that John Lackey face if you're Joe Madden because you're gonna and it's gonna be a, a, it's gonna be associated with uh, profanity that will come with it because John Lackey has the bad face and the bad words. But. Uh, but, you know, I do think that you say, and then you say, okay, we're not going to put Lackey. This has been violated before. It gets violated with these starters. Yeah. We're going to put you in to start a clean inning. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Lackey has made uh, 11 starts and 12 appearances all time in division series plays, 4-2, and two, ERA right around 3. Um, you know, for me, I'd start him over uh, Jake Arrieta at this point. Arrieta's got the hamstring injury. Um, I do think if I were the Cubs, I'd think about a five-person rotation, a five-man rotation. I would not be, uh, I would not avoid John Lackey for me. Uh, and, I, and I actually would. He had a great September. I'd prioritize him over damaged uh, Lack, uh, out, uh, Arietta. I might start him game four and hold Arietta for a possible game five. Or if you need him, Arietta. Or if you win in four games, you can have Arietta start the next series. And he'd be rested and healthier. But the, See, I, I prioritize. I, I think I think Lackey's a guy you depend on for five innings. Per, personally, the thing I would say is this: I don't want to do a five-man rotation. I I want to make. I know it's you know from a the, from a clubhouse dynamic standpoint, there's an advantage to that because then all your starters you're using them. But I think you got to make. You've got to decide. You, unless you think that your fifth starter is as good as your first, I do. That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm saying John Lackey is as good right now in my mind as Kyle Hendricks. 
and I would rather start him on in game four or five than I would start Kyle Hendricks. And again, the other X factor for me is how healthy is Jake Arrieta? He's got this hamstring that's bothered him, and a hamstring is the kind of thing that can be one pitch. It can just flare right back up again. So um, especially when you're as tightly wound as Arietta is, and we've seen the ESPN body pictures, he is tightly wound. We don't have that problem with chicken and beer John John Lackey. So I know that was six years ago, but 38 years old, I'm just going to guess that John Lackey's not as tight as uh, Jake Arietta. So for me, I would use Lackey. I just think that his experience is invaluable. And uh, when he's at his best, I think he's the kind of guy who can go out there and give you five innings. And I think Arietta actually makes more sense out of a bullpen than Lackey does at this stage of his career. So the one thing you have to worry about with Lackey is that he'd uh, argue his way into being ejected early in a game. Which Roger Clemens, 1988. I, I, will, I, I mean, again. <laughs> that was 1990. But if, 90, if, if, I, Lackey, if you see Lackey and he's scheduled to start and then he's warming up and he's got giant eye black on both cheeks, you're like, uh-oh, something's wrong here. It, it, that, that was a day game. I, rem- I remember <laughs> where I was. I mean, this is like, you know, the JFK assassination. I was at school and someone, you know, with the baseball coach at our high school was like, Clemens just got ejected, you know, and it's like, what? You know, like, it was like Dave Stewart versus Roger Clemens, right? Like, yeah. Unfortunately, never uh, never memorialized by, uh, by in song by Tribe Called Quest when they, like they did for John Starks getting ejected. <laughs> um, Roger Munter also asks, on that same series, Nationals play tonight with five players taken in the top six picks of the draft, two more first-rounders. Is this the greatest prospect playoff team ever? So those guys would be Matt Wieters, Anthony Rendon, Bryce Harper, Steven Strasburg. Who else am I forgetting who was a top six top draft six pick. pick? Zimmerman was... Oh, Zimmerman. That's yeah. it. Ryan Zimmerman was the fourth overall pick in 2005. I'd have to research that, Roger, but that's a pretty good call. You say, when you say ever... Don't forget Trey Turner was the 13th overall pick. Yeah. So pretty high you, as well. If you say ever, you know, I'm going to go with uh, Yankees team because... Again, now this is the time when prospects were not really prospects. They were they were guys who showed up at spring training, won jobs, and you went, "This mantle guy is really good." But if right. you if you retroactive it, you know, retroactively fitted it, Mickey Mantle is probably the greatest prospect of all time. Him and Bo Jackson battle for that, like yeah. from the standpoint of tools and all that. So you had Mickey Mantle on a team that had Joe DiMaggio and. Joe DiMaggio, considering, yeah. considering what he had done in the PCL, Joe DiMaggio would have also been one of the greatest prospects of all time because he came to the big leagues having completely destroyed the PCL, having put together a hitting streak that would have put him on the map if we were in... Yeah, it was you know. it 67 games? So I would say that would be... the. But you're, if you're talking about the modern era, the, the fact that you have Strasburg and Harper on the team right there... <laughs> makes Rendon. it Rendon. And Rendon, but especially... Harper was, those two guys are two of the most anticipated prospects. No question. But, I mean, Rendon was highly anticipated. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Not to the same level as those guys, but highly anticipated. And Matt Wieters, you know, was kicking Chuck Norris's butt in double yeah. A. So, uh, all those guys had pretty significant hype. So, you know, Ryan Zimmerman never quite did, but um, he was. That, I, that's a pretty good question, Roger. I, 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 I can't think of the a team. In the era? That's right up there. Yeah, the Dodgers had a bunch of minor league players of the year in a row and uh, rookies of the year in a row. Right, so I'm sure like the 95 Dodgers roster had like guys who have been rookies of the you year. Had, minor league say, you, players had Piazza, you had Piazza, you had Montesi. Raul Montesi, Hideo Nomo. So those were pretty good prospecty rosters. Um, but this is a... You know, this is up there for sure. So, which of and course sets the, the Nationals up for failure. And the funny <laughs> thing about this, we say that, and then you say like also. So it was last year's Nationals roster, with the exception of they didn't have Weeders. 
But then you also look at the Cubs and you say, okay, and the Cubs have one of the great prospect waves we've ever seen because yes. you know they had. You wrote about this week. Yeah, we were, you know, yeah, about this week, you know, you know, baseballamerica.com. But, you know, they have, I mean, you know, Bryant was eagerly anticipated. Both Bryant and Russell and Baez and Schwarber. And, you know, so you had, you know, you had that as well. Addison I mean, Russell. Yeah, it's, so, I but I know, I think you could make a case for the Nationals in the Baseball America era. I'm still going to go with the 51 Yankees if we're talking about all time. I don't know. I don't. I, I'm, that's two guys that fifty because the just looking at that old Yankees roster, there weren't a lot of other super young players on that. I mean, like uh, Barra and Ford. But I don't. I don't know what kind of prospects those guys were. So Barra was twenty. There was a little. Old. I mean, there was also a little difficulty. You know, if you're talking about prospects in the late forties, it was like you know, well, when so and so gets out I, of the army, you know, it'll. You know. I didn't scout him. He was in France. Yeah. So he was at Iwo Jima. I've heard. I I've heard. You know, I've heard he had a rough time. You know, and so you know, we're hoping his body gets back to. I mean, that's. That was a reality. That was a reality. So we've got Hendricks against Strasburg there. We've got Tawan Walker against Clayton Kershaw in the Diamondbacks Dodgers game. I, 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 you know, Tawan Walker really solid advantage Dodgers. Yeah, exactly. I mean, JJ of these drought organizations in the National League, the Nationals they haven't won a playoff series uh, like ever. I mean, like the the, the, the I guess the Ex- Expos won like the best of three against the Phillies in nineteen eighty one. Which which was a play-in series of sorts. In yeah, a, I mean, I'm kind of like not. I don't mean to be that dude, but like the the Expos were so torn down by the time they got to Washington, it's almost like let's just have the Expos as their own franchise and just kind of count the Nationals as their own in a way as well. I, it's not quite the Browns and Browns too, but it's sort of. Uh, which which drought do you think is harder, the Dodgers because they are the Dodgers, they spend so much money, they dominate. What is this, our fourth straight division title or fifth straight? Fifth, I don't know. Fifth straight, I think. And, uh, or, or the Nationals, who've had these expectations and these highly regarded, very high draft prospect teams, um, but haven't won a playoff series. Which, one, uh, which one's got a bigger monkey on their back, the Nats or the Dodgers? I think the Nats do right now, just from the standpoint of, for one, like I said, they haven't done I mean, anything in the <laughs> right. playoffs. You know, I I look at the, what the Dodgers did last year, and I say there's no shame in what they did. I mean, they you know, okay, that that was fine. You know, yeah, that, they lost to a better team. They lost to a better team that won the World Series. Tip of the hat. Yeah. You know, okay, fine. The Nationals have lost to teams that were not as that they were better. They should have been better than. You know, that's, yes. that's 2014 is the one I think the Nationals fans look back at and say the slow hooks by Matt Williams, who was managing by 1970s rules, basically. Um, and just, uh, you know, just really, like the, the Giants, obviously, they did win the World Series. But if you just look man-to-man, it just seemed like the player-for-player, player, the Nationals were better. And they also had that uh, blown uh, bullpen leads in 2012, I guess it was, against the Cardinals as well at home. So they've had some heartbreak in playoff series and lost the series to the Dodgers last year. I, I think the Dodgers, you know, there's no reason to think the Dodgers won't still be in this going forward. There's the a, there is an expiration date the coming Nationals for the Nationals. The Nationals window is coming. Uh, with Strasburg uh, is re-signed, but you never know when he's going to get hurt. But Harper <laughs> being uh, this giant ticking clock of and his free it, it would seem to indicate that Bryce Harper is going to uh, to, to take, dip his toe into free agency and see uh, see where that leads. So. See, see what the number is in front of the eight zeros uh, <laughs> in his contract. So uh, should be a great day today. Starts at 2 o'clock, Astros and uh, Red Sox. By the way, Astros fans o'clock. are a little hot about this and that it's like, 
Okay, one day game, fine, but we're playing the Red Sox and we get two day games. Oh, how about I'm I'm surprised we haven't seen uh, Yankee fans complain that they have a five o'clock game. I mean, when's the last time the Yankees played day playoff baseball? Which, like by, by the now. way, that was the one last thing I want to talk about is, is that for all the romanticizing that and look, this is division series. There's going to be day games for all the for for all the romanticizing about day baseball. Here is the practical world of 2017. If you say, what did I, I was watching the game, because fortunately enough, I work at a place where watching right. a playoff game is it's part work. of work. But then, as everyone, most everyone does, then you commute home. And, like, I was listening to it, but it... How about Chris Berman on the call yesterday? <laughs> Hoochie mama, I did not know that was coming. That threw me off big time. Plus, so we have two radio stations that are sports talk right within, on the same dial. And one of them had the game, but one of them had... An Adam Schefter podcast with Chris Bourbon, and uh, it was uh, uh, everything that you that you would expect uh, out of uh, Chris Bourbon, except uh, there were much greater pauses that I do not want to repeat on this uh, podcast. But so you you did you know, but the thing about it is, is what I come back to is, no, it's actually harder. Like I got home, and then you know, kids, you know, do stuff with the kids and all, but still, you got the. Primetime games, primetime games, I know that you can say for the kids, and I followed My son, my son dug it. <laughs> he dug being able to watch the end of a game. Okay. okay the night before, he could not. I mean, That is uh, true. So, yeah, he, there is, there is, he's in middle school, and he wakes up really early to get to school. And uh, so he, you know, he was into that Twins-Yankees game. He watched one inning. It took 48 minutes, and it was after <laughs> 9 o'clock and whatever it was, and he was like, I said, you know, Alex, you just you got to go to bed. I mean, so he enjoyed being able to. He didn't get to watch the start of the game, but he got to watch the end of it. And watching the end of a playoff game uh, was good for him. And then he started to watch the Indians Yankees game, and he couldn't make it up for the whole game. So, uh, so it, it, you notice it with younger fans. So, uh, you know, we'll see. But we'll see. I mean, we were fortunate enough, or I was fortunate enough to grow up in this area, where it's part of the culture where. 12 o'clock on the Friday of the ACC baseball, I mean, basketball tournament, your teacher, if your teacher had class or was smart and, and wanted to be liked by the students, he or she rolled in a TV on a cart and you watched the ACC basketball tournament, the one versus eight game that started at 12. That's how you build culture. Mm-hmm. That's how you build fans. And that's what we did in North Carolina. And so in the, you know, in, in when it was, when the playoffs were shorter, JJ, and there were fewer playoff games and series kids listen to world series games on their transistor radio or they listen to them on the radio they went home and watched them early and that was cool you could do it and we have more playoff games now so it's good that you can watch some of them uh in the daytime but they're certainly not going to get as much as many eyeballs they're certainly not going to get as much twitter traffic and they're certainly not going to be as as watched uh as they are in prime time but i i love that there's some day games um and i just again i love that people will complain about it mm-hmm. uh because it's uh, what we do today. Everybody complains about something. I'm sure people complained in the past. I just didn't have to hear about it. So that's a good way to wrap it up. Uh, we're going to be back again on Monday talking about what will surely be... <laughs> we'll do probably a four-hour megapod on Monday. Action-packed. Because we're going to have a ton to talk about. Because by Monday, we will know a lot more than we know now. That's right. So, But we do want to thank you for tuning in and remind you that today's podcast was sponsored by Baseballism. Don't forget to shop now at Baseballism.com and enter the offer code BHIP to receive free shipping on your order. 
Visit baseballism.com to shop for hats, shirts, and more today. Saw shorts on there on uh, Baseballism yesterday. It's on their Instagram feed. I just saw it today. It's like uh, they're sharp. They're sharp looking. I mean, uh, we've had other sponsors that uh, for podcasts. Uh, A-Tech used to win every practice. Uh, Logan Morrison sponsored the podcast on the college side one year for a charity of his. So uh, Baseballism has been uh, the, my favorite Baseball America podcast sponsor. And they've also been a long-tenured one. So uh, give them a support. Use the offer code BASHIP. And get free shipping on your order. So, for John, I'm JJ. We thank you for the download, and we will see you on Monday. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.